Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. A whole lot of space up here. It's kind of squished. Thank you, Dan, for reading our passage this morning. I love survival TV shows. I've got one. I love survival TV shows because they're people that go and do things that I myself would never do. I'm not going to go out and live alone in the Arctic Circle and attempt to survive for 100 days. I'm not going to do it. I don't want to. That's why I have a house with air conditioning and heat. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) But in all these things, they they always talk about like the pillars of survival, the things you got to have to survive. You got to have shelter, water, fire, and food. Got to have those things. You got to live. One season of the show alone that I was watching, and it's quite literally alone. These people go, they live by themselves in the Arctic Circle for as long as they possibly can until the last person pushes a button and says, I'm done, come get me. So this guy was doing pretty well for himself, as well as you can, in the Arctic Circle. And he found a boat that had been left up on a mountain. It wasn't, it wasn't anything you could get into, really, and like go sailing. But he turned it into a survival hot tub. He, yeah, yeah, he boiled water and sat in it and relaxed, and he was like, this was great. But in the process of doing that, he lost his ferro rod. And if you know what a ferro rod is, it's what you use to start a fire. He had just lost his lifeline to a key pillar of survival, fire. Because he got distracted. He got overwhelmed by relaxing. It's not to say relaxing is not a bad thing. It was probably life-giving in the scenario that he was in. But when you lose your pillar, you lose your ability to succeed. He very quickly went back to camp, picked up his little walkie-talkie, clicked the button, and he went home. Got distracted, got overwhelmed. Now, what we see here in the book of Acts in chapter 6 is not exactly the same issue. They weren't in a hot tub, but they were overwhelmed. It says at the very beginning of the passage that there were numerous people joining the body of Christ. And so they had a problem. They were strained on resources, and they were neglecting the pillar of service in the church, the pillar that is the ministry of service. So we see in this text... 
three pillars of service. Three pillar, or not three pillars of service, three pillars of ministry. We have the ministry of the gospel, the ministry of prayer, and the ministry of service. And if we're not careful, we too can become overwhelmed by various things and neglect these pillars. And if we're not careful, we too will pick up the, the walkie-talkie, push the button, and we will go home. So we must hone in on the ministry of the gospel, the ministry of prayer, and the ministry of service. These are three. I think, there, I think you could advocate that there are other pillars of the church, but in this text, we have three pillars given to us. And all of them are defined by the same word, the ministry of of the word, the ministry of prayer, and the ministry of service. So turning first to the central pillar of the church, that is the gospel. And the reality is, is we never really move on from this pillar. The gospel is the main pillar of the church. You, know, you might have heard some people like, when are we going to get past this gospel thing, move into deeper stuff? Never. <laughs> we are chained to the pillar of the gospel. We are tied to it, like in the Odyssey, when Odysseus is like, bind me to the mast. We should be bound to the pillar of the gospel. And because it's the main pillar, we have to get the gospel right. We have to get it right, and we have to make it our thing. It is, it is everything we are about. Now, you hear the word gospel, and I'm sure you all like, yeah, yeah, the gospel, the gospel. So we're clear. The gospel is the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ, that he bears our sins, and by the Spirit places righteousness upon us, his righteousness, by faith alone, through grace alone. Period. That's it. That is the gospel. And we never move on from it. We just move more of our lives under the lordship of Christ. It is our thing. A church of Jesus Christ is fully committed to the ministry of the gospel. We we, that is our bread and butter. We have no tricks. We just have the gospel. And that's why Paul calls it foolishness to the Greeks. Foolishness to the wise. That someone would come and die and that would be your thing? Yeah. It would be, because it is the very thing in the work of Christ that makes us right with God, that we are no longer enemies with him, but that we are considered his children. Which is why we proclaim the crucified Christ every single Sunday. Every Sunday. And there are sermons you've probably heard that are about the beauty of a worship service and why we set up chairs the right way. There's bad sermons out there. They exist. Because they're focused on other things. They're not focused on the crucified Christ. Now in this text, the, the central issue is that the ministry of service isn't happening. And the apostles aren't saying no to service. They're not trying to say, like, we've got to balance these things out. No, they're saying we've got to do it all. We've got three pillars here and we've got to be consistent and do all of these things. And they're saying it would not be good, it would not be sufficient if we were to put down the gospel in prayer to completely focus on service. And I think we see a lot of that happening in the world today. 
I don't need to challenge the world with truth. I just need to serve the world. And that'll turn it over. You often hear people say things like, just live a good life. And people will see you and they'll think, oh, you're great. What's different about you? Sometimes that happens. But you're called, we're called to proclaim the word, to be committed to the ministry, the pillar of the gospel. Fantastic movie came out. It might have been 2019, called 1917. I love older war movies. I don't, I don't watch any of the newer war stuff. It's just not interesting to me. I don't know why. But this is the story of two British lance corporals named William Schofield and Tom Blake. There's some give or take on whether this actually happened this way. But either way, it's a good story. Sidebar, if you can see, a pe- if you can see like shadowy images of the gospel in a story, it's a good story. Coming back. But they receive life-saving reconnaissance from an, a- from an airplane seeing this German line is moving, is retreating. But they're not retreating as they thought they were. They're peeling back to take up a new position, expecting the British Army to run forward into no man's land, and they're going to completely wipe them out. Thousands of soldiers are going to die. And all the telephone lines have been cut. And William Schofield and Tom Blank have one message. They have one thing. And it's to get to their general and say, here's a letter from this general. Read it. And stop your advance. Because without it, thousands of people are going to die. They didn't get distracted on doing other things. They focused on one thing. And in several instances, they almost die throughout this movie. In fact, one of them does die. And he dies because they got distracted. They got focused on something else. They had one thing. And at one point, I think it's Schofield, is running across no man's land himself as, pe- as infantry are running out to the battle so that he can get to the general and stop the advance to at least save most of the lives. He's got one thing, one mission. We've got one thing, got one pillar that is absolutely everything, and it is the gospel. So as a church, we must keep ourselves secure to the pillar of the gospel. We have life-saving reconnaissance. It's our pharaoh rod. We lose it, we're done. And so as we continue to raise up faithful elders, whether those be the elders we've nominated or people like myself in the Timothy program, we need to continue to raise up faithful leaders to proclaim the gospel. You need to assure yourself in the very word of God. Open it. It is for your sake that you may be assured in the gospel, that it may be your thing. And we must handle everything by the word of God. There's a lot of complex issues happening in the world today. And we've got to filter those things through the word of God so that we know how to rightly approach them with righteousness and holiness as God would have us do it. Again, the gospel is necessary to sustain the church. That's why the apostles are saying, it's not sufficient, it's not good, it wouldn't be a good thing if 
for us to lose focus on this and focus on other things. It is through the ministry of the gospel that we are joined to the family of God. It's the pillar. It is it. So as a result of that being the main pillar, we turn to the second pillar that is the pillar of prayer. The apostles also say that, yes, we need to be dedicated to the pillar of service, but we, gotta, we, we can't commit our time and energy as fully as we want to that because we've got to be focused on the ministry of the word and the ministry of prayer. And so they're saying, we're going to commit to prayer as well. We're going to commit to leading this congregation in prayer. And they don't really give a whole lot of reasons why. But we can only, we can assume quite confidently that they're saying this because they know that through prayer, it is only from God that the gospel will spread and all of their needs will be met. Falling down on their knees before the Lord and praying, Lord, only you can do this. Only you can sustain us. We've got nothing. Everything comes from you. And we can imagine what they might have been praying. They're praying the Psalms. That's why we read the Psalms every Sunday. We're on Psalm 26. Thank you, Justin, for affirming that. <laughs> yeah, that's why we're reading the Psalms, though. It's because that is the prayer book of the Bible. But I also imagine that they're praying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our debts as we are also have been forgiven of ours. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. They're praying that or applying that to their context because they're seeking after the Lord. Now Dan has talked about on a couple of occasions that like prayer is not in the Ten Commandments and we often beat ourselves up for not praying. And we should pray. Praying is a good thing. But why is prayer such a good thing? And I, and I think we see that in the Lord's Prayer as I just quoted to you. But I think Matthew 7, 7-11 really gives us great insight into why we should be so committed to the pillar of prayer. Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your, will your Father, who is in heaven, give you good things to those who ask him. We were talking just a little bit before the service that are you aware that as children of God, the Lord delights in you? The Lord desires, as Jesus says it himself, the Lord desires to give you good things. And so we come to the Lord and we say only you can sustain all of our needs. That's why the apostles, again, are committed to that pillar of prayer. And we, as the church of Jesus Christ, have to also be committed to that pillar of prayer. Because the Lord delights in us. And he desires to give us good things. Things that come from his kingdom. In fact, Jesus says, I think in Mark, that the Lord desires to give us his kingdom. Through repentance and faith. That's why we pray. That's why the apostles are committed to prayer. 
That's why they're saying we're going to focus in on this. Jesus, throughout his entire ministry, often went alone to pray. Because he knew that he wasn't going to do this by his strength alone. That by the Spirit, he was going to minister the word to others. That he was going to redeem the lost to his Father. We got to do the same thing. The Lord delights in us, desires to give us good things. And so we fall on our knees before him, committed to the pillar of prayer. Now, I'm always kind of a, I guess, a punk towards like cliche church terms. The word, the, the phrase prayer works, it's kind of like a, a pet peeve of mine. But what, what we mean by that, though, is that prayer works because God is a good father who desires to give us good things. So my, my prayers aren't like a magical incantation that make things happen, but that God listens, condescends, and meets our needs. That's why we're committed to the pillar of prayer. So pray. Pray without a guilty heart, thinking that I've got to do this or else, that the love of God wavers for me. No, again, God delights in his children who have become his children by the gospel, by the pillar of the gospel. Seek him out in prayer to meet your needs because he desires to do it. Join the prayer nights that Rachel puts on. She's dead set on prayer. She actually came up here and prayed for me before the service, which, yeah, yeah, yeah it's, worth, it's worth telling the story. I was a little anxious before we were praying, and I saw the Yates had come in, but Rory hadn't come in yet. So I actually went to find Rory. I was going to be like, hey, Rory, will you pray for me real quick? And then I couldn't find him. And then Rachel comes up, and she's like, hey, let me pray for you. And I'm like, yes. People committed to the pillar of prayer. Go to the prayer nights. Pray for this church and its leadership. We're nomi we've nominated elders. They're going to training. These men need prayer. So they can discern their call and be committed to the pillar of the gospel. And if you're, hey Blake, I'm struggling with prayer. Get a prayer book. There's Matthew Henry's A Way to Pray. There's the Valley of Vision, which is like Puritan prayers. Get a book of common prayer. There's tons of prayer books out there. If you need help praying, grab one. Get one. It's not a crutch. It's the beauty of the work of the church to help you pray other people who are committed to the pillar of prayer. They want to help you be committed as well. So people who hear the gospel and profess their total reliance upon the Lord in prayer are deeply committed to upholding the last pillar in our text. That is the pillar of service. So service is the neglected ministry here in Acts 6. Some are being served and some are not. And looking at the text, we know that the widows were being served, but specifically the Hebrew and Aramaic widows were the ones being served. The Greek, the Hellenistic, meaning those who spoke Greek or those who were from the diaspora who had returned to Jerusalem, they weren't being served. And there's a small lesson to learn in that, and that when things get tough, things get busy, we get distracted. When it comes to service, we are most likely to ignore those who are not like us. 
We're very quick to tunnel in on saying, I got to serve the people who are like me. And which is why the apostles call the whole congregation together and say, we need to elect some men who are going to be completely focused on service. And the interesting thing is, which might not come across super clearly in the English, is that all the names listed there are all Greek-speaking names. None of them are Jewish names. They're not men elected from the Hebrew-speaking part of the congregation. They're Aramaic, or they're, they're Greek. They, know the, they, they intimately know the people who need to be served who aren't being served. Which leads to another side lesson. If we're going to be a church that's committed to the pillar of service, again, we've got we to be committed to all of these things. The apostles were committed to all of them. We've got to be committed to all of them. We can't just go out and like throw service at the wall and see what sticks. It's contextual. They, elect, they heard from the congregation what wasn't happening, and they elected people who knew those people to serve them well. And so if we're going to go out and we're going to serve the neighborhood, we're going to serve the city of Little Rock, we've got to listen. What does Little Rock need? What do people in various neighborhoods need? Because if I come to them and I'm like, hey, let me grill burgers for you, and they're like, hey, I don't really need help cooking food. I need help raising my children because I don't know how to lead them well as a godly husband. That's their real need. Burgers are nice, and you can help with that in the process. But very often, Christians are quick to just throw service and see what sticks without any conscious understanding of what our neighbor actually needs. Love is a process of meeting needs. We say that all the time here. That's one of our, it's one of our things as a church. We believe that comes from the gospel. So here in this passage, the fact that widows aren't being served is because caring for orphans and widows was like a common practice in the synagogues and in the people of God before Christ. It was the expectation. And it became even more necessary, more focused, more important after, the, after Christ's death and resurrection. Remember, we're holding to the pillar of the gospel. We're praying that the Father's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because of the gospel, because we're the children of God, we are the most served people. We are the most served by God himself, who by his spirit has applied the righteousness of Christ to us, has brought us from darkness into light, and delights in us as his children. Jesus himself says, for the Son of Man came not to serve, but to be served. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Back it up. The Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. Thank you, thank you all. Thank you. <laughs> Jesus wasn't focused on himself, though he had the right to. As God incarnate, he could have said, Bring it to me. I am the Holy One of Israel. But he bent the knee and he served. And in, in the most grotesque way, given their culture, took off his outer robe, wrapped a robe around himself, 
knelt down and washed all of their feet. So we don't really wear sandals that much. Or some people do. I don't wear sandals that much. Back then, that's all they wore. It was sandals or nothing. They didn't have Adidas or Clarks to roll around in. So their feet were disgusting. <laughs> and Jesus knelt down, the Son of God, who descended from glory and took on flesh, served them. And then, in ultimate service, died on their behalf. Died on our behalf. We are the most served people, which is why we're committed to the pillar of service. Serve the church. Show up. Show up when you're asked. Show up when you're not asked. Serve. We're the most served people. Serve your neighbor. Find out what they need. If you don't know your neighbor's name, you don't really love your neighbor. <laughs> and you can't love them well. You can't meet their needs if you don't know their name, if you don't know who they are. Again, I'm going to drop off a casserole at your house. Well, I don't need a casserole. My lawnmower doesn't work, and I haven't mowed my lawn in three weeks. There's bugs everywhere. Hey, what if I showed up and mowed your lawn? Because when we first moved in, our neighbor, or the people we bought the house from, left the grass like three feet tall. And they told our agent, yeah, sorry about the grass. And I was like, well, if you're really sorry about it, come mow it. But one of our neighbors offered, hey, I will come mow your yard for you while you're still getting moved in. Thank you. That is a legitimate need that we had, and he offered to do it. I declined it. I was like, it's fine. I got it. Don't worry. Thank you, though. I probably should have received it because it probably would have developed a better relationship with them. But a key part of service is serving and being served as well. So when we consider that, serve, but also receive service from others. We're the most served people by God, and as God's people, we serve one another. We outdo one another in showing honor. Receive that from others. Rest in the love of God through his people for you. This passage concludes with saying, And the word of God continued to increase. The number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. We just heard in passages before that it was the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees persecuting the church, the priests, the people in the religious hierarchy. When things got messy, the apostle says, hold up. We're going to focus on the pillar of the gospel. We're going to focus on the pillar of prayer. We're going to focus on the pillar of service. And when they focused on those things as they were supposed to, interestingly, the number of disciples multiplied. And even the priest came to faith. We want to change the world. We want to change Little Rock. We want to see a transformed city. We need to commit ourselves to the pillar of the gospel, pillar of prayer, and the pillar of service. Francis Schaeffer, if you've not read him, he's fantastic. He says, we've, he says this, we've got to do the Lord's work in the Lord's way. Let's do the Lord's work in the Lord's way. Pray with me. Father, we do give thanks for your Son, for as we are in him by the Spirit, 
you delight in us. You love us. When you look at your son and say, in him I am well pleased, you are well pleased with us because of him. And so knowing this, that we are your children, Lord, build us up, encourage us as a church that we would be focused in on the pillars of the gospel, the pillar of prayer, and the pillar of service, that we may transform this city. It's in Christ's name we pray.